Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Jeff Wagner. He is a former editor at Metal Maniacs Magazine and the co-host of the Radical Research Podcast. His new book is Destination Onward, the story of Fate's Warning, which is published by our friends at FYI Press. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here, Jeff. And let's go ahead and dive right into this excellent book. Uh, You state in your opening that when you were younger, You bought every heavy metal record that you could get your hands on, but you didn't live in the vicinity of a record store. I suspect, Jeff, that many of our listeners don't really remember the pre-Napster era of music fandom. Uh, Sure. Yeah, right. For these listeners, can you describe how you listened to music and how you discovered music when you had to buy music in a record store, but you didn't live near a record store? Yeah, sure. I mean, once, um, you know, my early teens, uh, which is early 80s, I'm 53, um, uh, you know, one gateway, even pre-MTV really was just radio, FM radio. And I was, um, I had a very hip station in the Quad Cities. um, And um, I would sort of access things that way. And I got turned on to Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. So if you couldn't find those stores in small town Iowa, which is where I was living, you had to go to like, places like Dubuque or Davenport, which, you know, they're not the big, not huge cities, but certainly, um, you know, they had, they had decent record stores and malls and all that good stuff. So, um, and then you just, you, you'd find those things. And then you hopefully found magazines like Kerrang or metal forces. And, um, you know, the net, the metal network, the underground network is really starting to develop around that time with a lot of fanzines and everything. And, and, uh, a lot of letter writing, a lot of tape trading. So as a young kid, I got really into that whole thing. Um, because there were just all these bands I would kept hearing about and, uh, had never heard, you know, I remember going to a kiss concert, uh, their last show with makeup, uh, the creatures of the night tour in 80, early 80, three and these dudes were there before metallica's first album but they had metallica's back patches you know like they were hardcore and i was like what is that what is that name like what is that a band what like you know so you start getting all this information and um you just kind of figure it out i mean it's it's obviously a lot more circuitous and and um uh, work intensive than it is now you know you can just now go on spotify and youtube and bam you you have access to thousands of things um but I'd say it was like the magazine network and the word of mouth network uh, and certainly the cool record stores in the bigger cities that were, had like an import section. Um, and that's really how, you know, I, I went from uh, just kind of a casual FM rock listener to a, a crazy uh, music obsessive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm, I miss those days, even though there are definitely positives to having access to whatever you want, whenever you want. Um, I mean, there were, I mean, there was a mystery to it, right? Exactly. You know, and there was a there was an aura and a and, and kind of a cool drama. Like, wow, this is a really cool album cover. I hope this is good. And then sometimes you get the really crappy album cover, but it was good music. So you know, it's just um, a lot of exploration, a lot of digging. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, this band that this book is about, Fate's Warning. I have to tell you, Jeff, I 
am a lifelong music junkie. Um, I played in a band in clubs with our mutual friend Chris Ayers before I was even old enough to drive. Uh, I listened to every new release and have for years, um, at least long enough to decide if I really like it. Um, but Fate's Warning has never really been on my radar. Can you please take a moment, Jeff, to introduce our listeners to this band, Fate's Warning? Yeah, sure. I um I don't think they're on a lot of people's radar simply because they're what I'll call their peer bands, uh, uh, Queensryche and Dream Theater. Kind of everybody knows those names. It's even if you're not into it, it seems like those bands reached a kind of household name level, uh, whereas Fates just didn't get the breaks. Although they are considered the big three of what's termed progressive metal, right? Um, so they were always just kind of a rung below commercially um however uh, i of those three i i clearly just they're my very favorite you know of, of that whole world um and they just basically started as an iron maiden judas priest influenced sort of band out of connecticut um they just found the right guys at the right time the the original lineup was a had a great chemistry um they went they they shot through their evolution very quickly in terms of the maturation and um all the things they wanted to explore they, they they really grew up quickly and they kept going and kept being what you know quote unquote progressive um so that's that and that this was like where we're talking 83 84 85 86 they got signed to metal blade records who of course discovered metallica and slayer and you know many many bands uh, legendary metal record label um so they were supported by a great label um eventually got on tours were making videos eventually had a little bit of um, help from warner brothers when metal blade joined up with them in the late 80s early 90s um and then as soon as that happened you know they got basically dropped from warner brothers interest because of google dials and grunge and alternative rock um and things not really favoring a band like fate's warning so uh, i don't know if that answers your question but um that's kind of the world they they came from and 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 the the challenges that that they had in the 90s for sure yeah that that does answer my question and i want to ask you um about them being part of the big three of progressive metal because i'm very familiar with queensrike very familiar with dream theater is this something uh that these are the big three bands of progressive metal that a lot of people are aware of or believe I think so. I think you probably have to be into the metal world a little bit or the prog rock world a little bit to, to kind of consider it that big three. But I, I, and I think, you know, the big three could be a misnomer or just maybe just a terrible uh, a tag to put on them. But um, it's better than back in the 80s. There was this term called thinking man's metal, which was just kind of stupid, a little bit, a little bit snobby sounding. But it was just a way to separate like, oh, you know, all heavy metal is not, I don't know, Twisted Sister or um I, I don't know whatever band you want to, you want to pick um, these bands had a little more substance. We're a little more sophisticated. We're drawing maybe from literature, um, classic literature. Uh, they had wider influences. They did dip back into prog rock for their influence. So, you know, prog metal became a term. And then, and they, these were the three that influenced everything that came after. I mean, if you talk to a lot of the bands that came in the nineties, like symphony X Evergrey, I mean, you could go on and on and on. Um, you know, a lot of them are fans of these three bands or some combination thereof. And uh, um, so, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's just an umbrella term. And it, it really comes from the big four. When you talk about the big four of thrash, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax, it's kind of this is the progressive grouping sort of. Yeah. 
Nice. Thank you so much. Um, I want to harken back for a moment to a book my friend Hanif Abduraki wrote called Go Ahead in the Rain, which is about a tribe called Quest. But more than that, it's about what it means to be a fan of a band or a group or how one's life can be framed by said fandom. Um, I got this same sense from your book that I got from Hanif's, which is high praise. If you haven't read Go Ahead in the Rain, uh, what does it mean to be a fan of music, to be such a fan of music that it defines your life's path? <laughs> that also, that almost answers it. I mean, it really is my life's path. I mean, I, all of my best friends uh, I met through music, you know, and that's really valuable to me. Um, a, a lot of my best experiences are be somehow because of music, either directly or indirectly. Um, and music is just my thing. I mean, yes, I, I read a lot. Uh, uh, I, 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 I like watching films. I, uh, I, I garden, I have pets, I have a wife. I, you know, I do normal things. I, I'm a road biker. I cycle, but man, I can't get enough time in the music room, you know, just for listening. And that's, you know, as much as I've done in the industry, record labels, writing all, all the time I've spent doing the kind of extracurriculars, there's just nothing like, the hi-fi experience and sitting down with an album for me that that to me is travel it's a, it's it's existential uh it, it's a lot of things uh it's meditation it's religion it's just everything for me and i you know i'm not the only obsessive out there that thinks that way um we all listen differently though and and for me it's just i can never get enough time um in the music room um so for me to follow this stuff and to write about it is just just an extension of wanting to share it with people and I've thankfully through my, all my different jobs, especially the writing, um, I've thankfully turned a lot of people onto music. You know, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, oh, you know, because of the podcast or because of this book, I, I got this discography by this band. And I love that I can, because, you know, turning people onto music is is just the biggest high for me. And because I know what it means to me. And if I can pass that on to somebody else, it's almost evangelical in a sense. Um, if I can pass that on to somebody else, um, it's it's just the best feeling because it's in their DNA now. You know, thanks to me, I've helped them kind of get in there. So, um, yeah, I I, uh, I I want I almost want to write a book on on listening to music. There's there's so much that's elemental to me about it, rather than just it. You know, it's never background music. It's, it's just not something to do to to fight off boredom it's just uh it's life you know um i have so much to say about it. i think i think that's the greatest thing that man has has done and all all the shitty thing i don't can we swear on this thing or not yeah absolutely yeah well, you, could, well you, <laughs> and you, you know you can bleep me out but you know of all the shitty things that humankind has done and perpetrated on each other and, and everything and the planet and animals the music to me is the great one of the great beauties that we have together and yeah. that, that that we have been able to uh find together so um you know it's it's a lot of things for me it's it's it runs pretty deep absolutely i hope you write that book i'll definitely read it if you do uh -huh. um jeff you state that you became interested in fate's warning when you heard two of their songs that dealt with the plight of the native american a topic that you were very interested in at that time uh, what was the nature of your interest in this topic I had just kind of stumbled on uh, an author named Vine Deloria Jr. Um, and I read a couple of his books and he was, I'm not going to say he was a militant uh, Native American, but he he was a bit bitter about some things as he probably should have been. Yeah. 
Uh, and I was, I don't know, I was 17, I guess, 16, 17. Um, but something, something about it. I grew up in Iowa. So there was, of course, I lived in a little town called Makokota, which was Indian derived. So even that kind of stuff um, was in, in my consciousness a little bit. So I just stumbled upon that author and found a few more books in like a local used bookstore. Um, so I had interest in what really went on versus what maybe I read in my my grade school textbooks or what I saw in the Cowboys and Indians movies. Uh, I, even being a little kid, I always wanted the Indians to win in the, in the movies and they never really did, you know? <laughs> um, so that was my interest. And so when I when I found a band speaking intelligently about the the plight of the native american and damnation the song by fate's warning uh and and, and it's just a well-constructed song as well it, it just it just connected really hard yeah it was very formative very nice um for anyone who is interested on that topic uh, i do recommend the seven dreams series um by william t bowman which is still in progress and is very much um from the point of view of the native american populations in different areas of the americas um Jeff, another question about this period in your life, uh, specifically your interest in music versus your interest in school. Uh, when you discovered music, what did it do um, for your, um, this may be the wrong term, but enthusiasm for uh, public schooling? I think I mentioned that in my intro. Maybe that's where you're getting that from. Um, how, 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 yeah, Prelude to Ruin, the song was just maybe more important than trigonometry or something, but uh, or algebra. But um I, I was always a learner, uh, but I had a teacher of mine tell me he thought it might might be a, um, what do you say, professional student. He was predicting that for me in, in high school. I didn't know what that meant at the time. I, I didn't know if that was a put down or, or what, what he meant, but um, I was always really interested in learning. But the, but I think, I guess the problem for me with with not so much high school, but more actually college was that all my experiences in college and all the things I was interested in, all the things I wanted to read were kind of outside the classroom. You know, I didn't have, like, there wasn't a degree. I went to university of Iowa for two years and I, and I just did, there wasn't a degree that interested me at the time. Now, if I went back, I'd probably have, I have much wider interests now, but at the time I was, it was just, just music, 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 music. And there just wasn't anything that I was interested in pursuing. So I would read outside of my curriculum or what I was assigned in, in classes. Um, and I, and I think uh, that's, that was a bit of a problem only in the sense that I just wasn't, I didn't achieve uh, in school. I think what I achieved outside of school, do you know what I mean? I could have, I was always told I was really smart, but never applied myself in school. And that goes back to like junior high days, maybe even grade school, but I was always really independent in terms of what I wanted to learn and read versus what they want me to learn and read. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Self-education is probably the most important and effective means of education. So thank you so much, Jeff. Listeners, we're going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Jeff Wagner. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. 
Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Jeff Wagner, author of Destination Onward, the story Bates Warning, which is published by our friends at FYI Press. Jeff, I want to now ask you about the uh, intro to your chapter, The New Britain. Uh, you list in this intro a lot of bands that you can't imagine the world without Pink Floyd, David Bowie, Black Sabbath. Uh, the fourth band that you list is Radiohead. I agree with this statement. Um, they are a newer band than the three that come before them in your paragraph. Uh, do you think among people who are not music journalists that they would believe that Radiohead belongs in this list? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think they've established themselves as uh, a fiercely independent, highly influential, um, highly original, uh, and, and so, you know, fairly experimental band and, and in modern too, in the sense that they, you know, you listen to the jangly indie rock of the first album, and then you compare it to King of Limbs or uh, Kid A and, and where they're just wielding electronics and, and technology. Um, and I think because of the fan base, because of the rabidness of that fan base. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think they're one of the modern classic bands, you know, um, uh, I, I, I'm a huge fan for one, so maybe I'm a little biased. Um, but to, for me, that list that, that that starts the first chapter is simply to show, man, what a contribution Britain, that small, relatively small country, has made to music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then how how even though rock and roll started with the blues um, and black culture in America and, and in the '50s, you know. Um, it, it was an American phenomenon. The Brits took it and just ran with it. And then we have, of course, what happened in the 60s. Um, so I thought it was an interesting place to start simply because Fate's Warning are influenced probably more so by uh, bands that are non-American than American. Um, so, yeah, that's and, and of course, New Britain is a town in Connecticut where they had some history. So uh, it was all yeah. very deliberate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I agree with your take on Radiohead. I have a good friend who's a music journalist, uh, David Minconi, who is so like adamantly against Radiohead's inclusion in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, oh, wow. which I think is insane. I thought that they were, you know, first first ballot inclusions without question. Sure. Um, but also enjoy uh, getting alternate takes. Um, I want to talk a little bit more um about some things that you just mentioned. Why do you think England has had such an outsized influence on the history of rock and roll music specifically? Wow. I mean, you know, it's, it's really easy to point to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. They just had, I mean, I don't even have to explain this, but they, they had that chemistry when once Ringo joined that it just took off. Um, they are master songwriters, master um evolvers if evolvers is a word i don't know <laughs> um but you know they 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 did what they did and they took it really far in a very short period of time and of course had, had that huge huge impact and that just to me that just caused a wave uh of of sound alikes or just people going i want to do that and the i don't think there's been a band as inspirational or that has sparked as many kids wanting to do one thing uh in the arts as as the beatles you know what i mean so i think i i really do think that even though it seems too obvious uh that the, they really are the answer to that question 
Uh, and then it just all went from there. I mean, you had, you had the kinks, you had the rolling stones, you had the yardbirds, you had just, I mean, just the list is, is goes on and on and on. And then of course, American kids picked up on all that and had their own take on it. And it's just this unstoppable wave that we're, we still benefit from in terms of seeing, um, you know, uh, all, all these branches of the rock and roll family tree, you know, that it's, um, I really do think it starts with the Beatles. I can't, I can't think of another British phenomenon or British reason for what we have now. That's not the Beatles. Yeah. Um, when I was an undergrad at the university of South Carolina, I took a geography course, geography 333, which is uh geography of pop music, the 333 being an allusion to the 33 and a third rotations of the vinyls record. Nice, um, nice. Vinyl records. And they spoke a lot about, you know, the um the trade routes between the US and port cities like Liverpool and how sailors would come over with vinyl records or blues recordings. Oh wow, okay. Liverpool, the Beatles picked up on that and turned it into their own thing. And it was well, just an interesting way to approach the evolution of music. It's funny. Yeah. I mean, you put it that way. I and mean, the Beatles were influenced by a lot of American stuff, you know, mm -hmm. it just, it was kind of a, always a trade-off, you know, uh, they were in, into all that, all that stuff. They were charged up by all the things happening in the fifties here. Um, but yeah. Um, and I, that's interesting from more of a geographical standpoint. Never, I never really knew that about like records coming in on, you know, ships and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cool to think about. Um, well, thank you, Jeff. Um, can you now please tell us about how, Fate's Warning got started, and then what difference John Arch and Joe DiBiase made to the band when they joined? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, this this band was formed by Jim Matheos and Steve Zimmerman um, and Victor Arduini. Uh, so you had a two guitar and, and drum thing. Uh, Joe came in. Um, he was the guy who probably went deepest with his knowledge of, of the underground metal happening at the time. And of course, shared that with his new bandmates. And I think that was really important. Um, and uh, just a very solid player and um, not a writer. So, so, and that's good because Jim Atheos was the main writer in this band all the way through. Uh, and you have to have the kind of people who are capable and, and um, uh willing to willing to um well i'm stumbling over my words here uh just have the passion to just take make the sacrifices it takes but also step back and go okay this guy's the writer this guy's the creative unit uh and then john arch was i was talking about this with a friend like a couple of days ago like can you imagine being in a club and hearing this guy sing like iron maiden and judas priest covers it's difficult music to sing um, and he was so talented and he just blew, uh, Victor away, which was the guitarist who saw him, maybe Steve, um, they saw him in a club were like, okay, that's the guy we got to have that guy. And then what he brought was not only a, a really versatile and, um, unique voice. A lot of people can't handle his voice. It's a little too high pitched, a little too, um, you know, up in the stratosphere, but what he brought was an artistic sort of approach to that kind of singing, um, but also a very literate quality to his lyrics. You know, he was drawing from like Lord Alfred Tennyson. Uh, we talked about the Native American thing, um, various uh, fables and, and, and poets that he would kind of draw from in his, in, and, and he used metaphor a lot. Uh, he, he loved um, um, symbolism and um, yeah, just all kinds of just devices that, I don't, you know, his, his schooling wasn't anything super special, but I, but I think his intelligence and his mind was, he was a very creative person. So uh, I think they got very lucky to have him. Um, there weren't a lot of 
art, uh, vocalist in the underground at that time that you could uh, put on a pedestal the way you can him uh, in terms of his just creative output. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and I really enjoyed the story about uh, Joe DiBiase kind of being a ticket scalper uh, to make money and um, the band, you know, rolling up on him while he was in a sleeping bag in a, a parking garage. Um, yeah. Very good story there. Um, is he, is Joe DiBiase of any relation to the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase? No, but you know, I know who Ted DiBiase is because as a kid, I, um, my brother always watched uh, Gordon Soley, uh, Atlanta wrestling. Uh, yep. So, so I know exactly who Ted DiBiase is, but no, there's no relation. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you so much. <laughs> That's a great question. Dollar man, yeah, he was, he was a great <laughs> One aspect of this book that I really enjoyed that's really amazing is all of the photos that are included of Fate's Warning throughout the different stages of their career. How did you get access to these photos? Uh, well, I mean, just having been in a lot of different positions in the, we'll call it the industry since 1994, most of my adult life, you know, I've known people like Alex Solka has some photographs in there. I used to work with him at metal maniacs. So I already had some contacts, but I'd say most of those came from my contact with Jim Matheos. Um, the, the, we'll call him the leader of fate's warning. Um, because early on in, in devising the idea of the book, he, was open to it. We had had some professional dealings before. Um, so he knew me, he had read my previous books. He liked them a lot. He, he's a, he's a big reader too. So I knew that he wasn't just, you know, bullshitting me. Um, and he gave me access to a lot. And plus he's also uh, a documentarian of that band. He's the one that has all the stuff, you know, he's just been a good record keeper of everything. So he had a, a ton of slides, ton of old school print photos, tons of digital stuff and anything he didn't have, um, that I needed, I would go to one of the other guys who he, you know, um, if I didn't know those guys, Jim, gave me access to everybody in the band past and present. So I'd say probably the photos you see in the book are about 85% um, um, band supplied. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I really enjoyed seeing the old school publicity photos. It was definitely like a blast from the past. Just seeing that, uh, that meme. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to run all the eight by tens that I could, you know, when they were in eight by 10 format, like the printed things. And uh, luckily I, I was able to get a hold of most of those for every single era. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. Um, finally, for a person like me who loves music but was not familiar with Fate's Warning uh, before reading this book, where should we start diving into their catalog in such a manner uh, that we will get hooked like you did? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, the problem with that, with a band like Fate's Warning, is they have so many different eras and and sort of sounds that they traveled through. Um I probably wouldn't point it as much as I love it. I mean, the, my, my, my top two fates warning albums are ones with John Arch singing. Um, however, I, I think that's really not for the uninitiated uh, in a way. Um, and I would probably go for something like if, if you're at all interested in something, sorry about my cat's tail there. If you're uh, at all interested in something like Kansas to rush, um, I would say perfect symmetry the 1989 album. Um, if you want something a little slicker like Queensryche's empire or some of the kind of more um, streamlined 
main mainstreamish metal that was happening in the early '90s. Go for Parallels. Uh, that was produced by Terry Brown, who produced Rush famously, um, and is one of, certainly their most gorgeous production and some of the best writing that they would ever have on an album. And if you're into more modern um, sounds and things that have happened in the last 20 years in music and hard rock and heavy metal and prog rock, uh, I would even say something like Disconnected, their 2000 album, uh, which I didn't was one that I didn't really care for at first, but I've really gotten into over the years. Uh, I had to acclimate to that one. Um, so three answers there for you. Yeah, that's great. I look forward to diving into those at your suggestion as I um, kind of approached it chronologically uh, going into preparing for this interview. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. And thank you for writing this wonderful book about fate's warning and what it means to be a fan of music. Listeners, I've been speaking with Jeff Wagner, author of Destination Onward, The Story of Fate's Warning which is published by our friends at FYI Press. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. And thanks for what you guys do for the, uh, the, the, the book market. I, you know, physical books are the, are the greatest. Once again, I would like to thank Jeff Wagner for joining me. Copies of Destination Onward can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Quail Ridge Books and Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been BOOKIN.